are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Guys, Suzy.com launched, call it around 2011, after Matt sold his agency for $50 million. Well, CrowdTap launched in 2011. CrowdTap, sorry, CrowdTap. Yeah. After Matt sold his agency for $50 million in 2010, CrowdTap, and, the, and then eventually the Suzy business crossed $10 million bucks of run rate. And around the 2018 mark, $25 million in around 2020, last year finished with about $65 million bucks of revenue, burning on a run rate revenue, on a run rate base of about $12 million a month, but have plenty of buffer raised. Well, a year. Uh, over every year of a year, but yeah. this year will burn under 10 million bucks as they look to scale in the enterprise CPG space, right? So they're helping CPG brands do things like get user feedback directly, uh, uh, you know, build their new package designs, understand heat maps on store floors, right? And things like that. Uh, they've got over 400 or caught around 400 customers hoping to break 82 million bucks of revenue this year. So they can break 100 million next year. We'll see what happens next. Hey folks, my guest today is Matt Britton. He's a renowned expert on the impact of tomorrow's customer on the leading brands of today. Since 2016, under Matt's leadership, Suzy has garnered over 100 million in venture capital from prominent investors such as Foundry Group and others. Before making his mark with Suzy, he established MRY, a digital and social media marketing agency. So again, a key trend with the most successful software companies today, they always start as agencies. We're going to dive into Matt's full story today. Matt, you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right. Well, first off, appreciate you always making time for me. You've come on the show, I think now four or five times going all the way back to, gosh, it must have been uh, 2018, I think. So yep. wh- where's the business today? If you had to describe Suzy sort of in one sentence today, wh- wh- would you, how would you describe it? So we are a marketing research software platform that services large enterprises, allowing them to conduct consumer research more efficiently uh, than the institutional ways that it's normally been conducted. And when we chatted back in 2021, one of your unique superpowers is you actually started as a consumer application called CrowdTap at 1.4 million registered users, 50 to 100K monthly active users. This was the key way you got feedback quickly for the brands that paid you. Is that still part of your go-to-market motion today? Yep, it's huge. Having our own kind of vertically integrated solution where we have our own consumer panel um, really makes us unique in the industry and unlocks functionality and efficiency for our customers that our competitors are unable to achieve. So describe for folks that maybe missed your first couple of interviews with me, describe your cu- a customer today that's actively using you and maybe a recent uh, a recent uh, survey they ran or, or feedback survey they ran through your platform. Sure. So we service large enterprises, primarily in CPG, food and beverage, t- tech and financial services. And those companies are essentially using Suzy to conduct consumer research across the product development lifecycle. So that could be early on if they want to launch a new product. Um, is there a market for that product? Who is the buyer? To once they decided on the product, what should they call it? What should the pricing look like? What should the packaging look like? Um, to promotional activity and go to market, testing advertising, merchandising, um, their retail footprint, et cetera. Um, to when a consumer actually has the product, what is their experience with the product? How likely are they to recommend it? Um, et cetera. So it really goes across every step from when a company initially formulates an idea for a product or service to when it's in market. So let's just use a real example here. Uh, I'm 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 Nathan's chocolate factor. I'm launching a new yeah. candy bar and I want to test if my packaging should be yellow or brown. How do you right. help me decide that? 
So basically, as you mentioned at the onset, Susie had its own consumer network, uh, which provides statistically significant sample size across um, the U.S. So you want to make sure that your audience data isn't skewed uh, to one particular population, population or uh, demographic profile. So depending upon who you want to test with, it could be the general population, or maybe you've done some work prior to actually understand um, a little bit more closely who is your audience. Once that audience is identified, you essentially launch an action. An action could be a quantitative research study. So it could be a long-form survey or just short-form multiple choice questions or quali uh, qualitative research, which could be a live one-on-one -on -one interview or even a one-to-many focus group. And based upon that research, our team helps you come up with um, a better hypothesis of what packaging would be more successful in a retail environment. Uh, there's all sorts of different um, approaches to research. It's way more sophisticated, the discipline of research that I even imagined when I started Susie. But we've been fortunate enough to hire a lot of people from kind of the legacy research uh, companies to come on, um, teach us and our company how to do research at the highest level. So depending upon the budget, um, and how much companies want to invest in research, we can really give them sort of a, a view into the future in terms of how the product will perform in that instance. Talk to me a little bit more sir, about your space overall. Do you still consider Qualtrics and SurveyMonkey your closest competitors? So SurveyMonkey is really focused on a small business and to some extent middle market. Uh, they were really never able to crack the enterprise because they didn't really prioritize servicing, which is a kind of a necessary evil, if you will, of going to market within the enterprise. Um, what enterprise does that mean, servicing? Servicing, meaning we have something called a, a market research center of excellence. So we don't just give our clients a username and password and say, figure it out on your own. Um, that may work with Joe's Pizza, but these large enterprise companies, the Procter & Gamble's of the world, they have never conducted research on their own. Throughout their history, they've hired agencies to do it all for them. So while we have a technology, we also understand that clients need a certain amount of handholding and strategic input in terms of how to formulate the research and how to extract insights from that research. So our center of excellence team, uh, which is about 16% of our revenue, is an important component of, of kind of guiding our clients down that digital transformation journey within research, where they're not going to go from completely being serviced to doing it all on their own. They're kind of in that intermediary step. And what we found is Every year, our services team will do something, and then we'll build into the product, and our services team will move upstream and do something more strategic, and then we'll build out in the product. So we constantly have the product replace what our service team is doing to push it further along the line and build trust with our clients. Mm -hmm. Qualtrics is a little bit going. Qualtrics, you mentioned about Qualtrics. They're obviously a great company, a little bit more enterprise. I think who we're finding our competitors are is the large agencies who are disintermediating, which really is where the TAM is. Uh, Qualtrics is a $1.2 billion revenue company in an $80 billion market. So you're looking at less than 2% market share for the leading digital player in the research space. So there's obviously so much more room to go in terms of that space becoming digitized. And the way that we capture share is really from the large agencies. Who is the largest agency, would you say, in your space right now that you would the, ideally steal market share Well, from? the traditional research players are companies like Cantar, Nielsen, Ipsos, GFK, uh, these legacy research institutions where big enterprises have traditionally leaned into to conduct their research. Mm -hmm. On the capital stack side, in terms of how you funded the business, I believe your Series D was back in 2021 for 46 million bucks. Was that your last capital raise or have you raised since it then? It was. It was. We did okay. a tiny internal round um, at the end of 2022. Uh, we went out to market. We were just needing an extra $10 million almost for cushion because the market was so uncertain at that point, still kind of is. Um, so we we wanted to pat our balance sheet a little bit and our investors decided to chip in and that will be the last equity round that we did. 
That's cool. I, I love hearing that. That means you're at a sustainable level. I, I believe you. We chatted back in 2021 at Series D. I think it was a, that that was around actually a 400 post money valuation million. Was that is that accurate? Or am I making things up? Uh, it was closer to about 300 million a, a post money. Okay. We was got a, we had a 10x valuation. We had ten we had a 10x valuation, which is a healthy multiple because it, we didn't get it above our skis. Um, a lot of, we had a term sheets with higher multiples. I'm happy that we took the 10 X for a lot of reasons. Um, now the market's probably trading at five and a half to six X, but we've more than since doubled since we raised, but we were doing about 25 million ARR or is a 250 pre-money, about 300 post-money. Uh, at I mean, that, that, that takes that takes real discipline. Most starry-eyed founders are saying, "Give me the highest number and let me sign that thing and put it on TechCrunch." So this is nice yeah. for you because now all your option grants that equities have are not underwater. Uh, ideally. Right, and, and the key I always want to do is get my ARR to the level in which we raised. So because basically, then your multiple becomes the return for the investors. If we get to a hundred million, we raise the hundred million, we get a five x. We're on a blended basis returning five x to our investors. So if you yeah. can get there, you're in a really good spot, and that's always been my goal. Which is why we don't want to raise again. We have enough capital to get us through to profitability, um, and because of that, we don't have to raise anymore. We can get past the hundred million mark based on the hundred million we've raised. How close are you to that hundred million mark? We will be there in the middle of 2025. Okay, got it. So, what does that mean? You finish twenty twenty three with something like seventy ish, seventy five, a little million? lower than that, mid, in the mid in the mid sixties. Um, okay. What we made a conscious decision to do is redefine what we call ARR uh, because our business changed. When we first started, we were selling things that were kind of borderline project slash recurring, and we took a hard look at our business and said, "What is truly recurring? What isn't?" And kind of because ARR is not a gap terminology. And it yeah. leaves a lot of room for manipulation if companies want to manipulate. We never were trying to manipulate it, but we didn't really understand what was truly recurring or not when we started the business. So we took a step back at the end of 2022 and said, this revenue is really just more ad hoc project revenue, which reduced our ARR, but in turn increased our our um, our retention, which is really what we're focused on. But ultimately, it's about having a clear view of what the business was so we can make decisions accordingly. I want to call this out for a second. You said 16% of your revenue is your services-based revenue. So is that yep. can I take 16% of about 65 million of revenue? So you did something like caught 10, 10 12 million. million. Yeah. Yeah. This is so I want to know how you convinced your VCs to let you do that lower margin of revenue because you had the foresight to know that every customer that paid for services is going to have a longer term, higher net dollar retention. So I've never really had to convince my VCs of of any decision in terms of how I operate the business. Uh, my VCs weigh in when it comes time to whether we're doing sort of a venture debt round or new financing round or looking at M&A. Um, they trust me strategically to make decisions for the business what's best, kind of stay out of my way and that it's been a great relationship. Ultimately, the way I look at it is what's best for our customer um, and what's best for our business strategy. And, and then let the numbers follow. What's important though, is that you have to productize your service offering so it's scalable. You can't be an agency. Um, and the real litmus test is your gross margins. Our gross margins are 75% blended, yeah. including the services, uh, which really shows you that we really are running a SaaS business and not a tech-enabled service business, which traditionally runs in the mid to low 60s. Yep. No, you you nailed that. Now, to hit that revenue target of 100 million, breaking it sort of midway through next year, what do you think you need to end this year at? This year, we need to end at around 80, 80 million, 82 million. We're going to grow about 30% this year, maybe no, 32%. One of the things you told me back in 2022 was you were really focusing on enterprise. And I asked you to define that. And you said 5 billion a year or more in revenue. Is that still the case? We lowered that definition to about 1 billion in revenue okay. just because <laughs> you start to run out of companies. Yeah. Um, but what we thought, so our core metric for our business is net revenue retention within the enterprise. 
Uh, we ended this year close to 130% net revenue retention within the enterprise. An enterprise defined by that um, 2 billion plus number, or I think it's one and a half, I can't remember the last definition we had, um, it's about 80% of our business. So wow. without that 80% of our business, we're doing close to 130% net revenue retention. Peel that onion back for me. How much gross churn did you have that you had to make up before adding the 30 points of net dollar retention? So we have three components. Uh, market research is interesting because traditionally it's been a project-based business, which goes back to why we had to look at redefining what ARR is, because we sort of have a hybrid model as a business. We're not like a Slack or Zoom where we sell seats. Um, we sell credits. So credits um, essentially clients use to deploy research projects, different types of projects eat up different amounts of credits. So you have this whole um, kind of motion where clients may go through 80% of their credits halfway through the year and then re-up. And then when they re-up, it's at a higher monthly run rate than they may renew in the following January. So it looks like contraction. Um, but the reality is the base is growing. So I see. we've always struggled with our optics when we've talked, especially like the late stage private equity guys about um, specifically gross revenue retention, because we have this sort of inflow outflow feature of our business. Where we're almost a victim of our own success because if we upsell in the middle of the year, we might renew at a lower base than December, but certainly higher than the previous January. Um, mm -hmm. So there's really three components, right? There's a renewal, um, there's cross-sell, and there's upsell. Um, and we've kind of created different type of metrics across all three. If you're looking at gross revenue retention in the pure sense, um, we're probably in the low 80s um, and definitely higher within the enterprise. However, our logo retention with the enterprise is 96%. Yep. So, um, and that's because of the dynamic we just spoke of. So Let's basically- yeah, it's eighty five percent. Basically, for us to get to um, one thirty, you look at forty five percent growth on expansion on enterprise to get there, and we have a huge land and expand motion that drives that. A lot of extra credits being sold, which is great. Touching on private equity, you just mentioned it in October of twenty twenty two. Tama Bravo Sunstone Partners got together, bought user testing. I wouldn't say yeah. directly in your space, but certainly adjacent for one point three billion 100%. and combined it with user Zoom. Have you had any conversations with Tama Bravo or Sunstone in the past two years? So I can't speak to specific companies that we've spoken to, but we have spoken to many of the late stage private equity buyout firms. Um, and you know what companies like Toma Bravo and, and Vista and Insights have done is really smart because they've combined companies, they've looked for efficiencies, they've accelerated the path to profitability, um, and they're going to basically get these companies fit for purpose to either um, you know resell to a larger strategic or possibly take public once again. So I think what they're doing is fantastic. A company has to be at a certain stage and have a certain sort of operating model to do it. What, what's interesting I've learned over the last couple of years when companies talk about what your burn is, is that not all burn is created equal. If you have a high burn because you're overspending on R&D, you can easily turn that dial down and maybe you have slightly less product innovation, but it's not going to impact revenue. A lot of companies have high burn because they have bad unit economics when it comes to their customer acquisition costs um, and their capital lifetime value. And that, in that regard, when they take down their sales and marketing, their revenue follows with it. But they do that because that's the only way they can reduce burn. We were fortunate that when we had to cut burn, we were overspending in R&D. We just froze our R&D and let the revenue catch up which is how we're breaking through to the other way. A lot of companies don't have that luxury because the only way they can kind of cut burn is by freezing their sales and marketing, which means they're going to have a revenue drop. Um, yeah. And that, that's a lot harder to make up. What did you burn last year all in, would you say? We ended at a run rate closer to burning a million a month. Um, and we're okay. going to be... We're to be sub 10 million burn in 2024 and then cash flow positive in 2025 um, because burn is a 12-month thing. And... You know, the world's changed so much. It's hard, you know, part of that cohort 
was 2022 um, up until yeah. the end of the year, which is why the run rate burn dropped um, you know, consistently over the year. So we're going to be burning less than 10 million this year. We could break even this year, but I think um, it'd be pennywise pound foolish. Um, so to speak, lots of pennies, but still pennywise pound foolish. But um, heading into 2025, we're going to be cash flow um, positive. Do you believe Tom Bravo and Senso overpaid for user testing at a 1.3 billion valuation on revenues of about 100 million based off the last time I had the user testing crew and Alfonso on my show? So they paid 11x. Do you think over, over or under? I mean, it all depends upon the exact time they bought them. It depends upon, I, I don't know. Would you, have, would you have sold at the time for 11x? At a, at, what year was it? 2022? 2022, yep. Maybe. Maybe right that, around that, when you that, right that, around when you raise the ten million buffer. That's a healthy valuation, but if if I knew growth was ahead of me at 35 percent, I knew I was going to be profitable. Maybe not because you kind of grow into it in one to two years. So I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Yeah, it makes it's hard to tell. Sense. Certainly not a bad valuation. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me more about your team today before we wrap up. What's total team size? Uh, we have about two hundred seventy-five full-time employees. And how many engineers? So our engineers, we have about seventy on the R and D team. Seventy people heavy. on the R and D team. There's where you get 75% gross margin. Makes a lot of sense. Right. All right, Matt. Let's wrap up here with a famous five. Number one, your favorite book. Still hard things about hard things, Ben Horowitz. <laughs> you're consistent. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, I am following a lot of the just later stage SaaS CEOs, like the CEO of, of HubSpot and uh, you know so, some of the um, more marketing automation type companies and seeing how they scale their business at scale. But HubSpot's the first one that comes to mind. Number three, what's your favorite online tool uh, for building Suzy? Well, it's got to be ChatGPT right now. <laughs> it's got to be AI-related tools, given where the world's at. It. It's just, how can it not be? Number four, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? Six to eight. Okay, and situation, married, still married, still three kids? Yep, still married, still three kids. I think you had a birthday, right? So you're 48 now? Getting up there, yep. It's close enough. All right. All right, I'm not 50. <laughs> <laughs> is that how you're answering that question? Hey, I'm exactly. not <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. The power of a network. I think making sure that you're not just focusing on people who can help you in any given day, but it's a long haul and make sure that you're building a network and, and giving value both ways um, over time, because that's the main thing you're going to lean into um, in times of need in your career. Guys, Suzy.com launched, call it around 2011 after Matt sold his agency for 50 million. Well, CrowdTap launched in 2011. CrowdTap, sorry. CrowdTap yeah. after Matt sold his agency for 50 million in 2010. CrowdTap and, the, and then eventually the Suzy business crossed 10 million bucks of run rate and around the 2018 mark, 25 million in around 2020. Last year finished with about 65 million bucks of revenue, burning on a run rate revenue on a run rate base of about 12 million a month, but have plenty of buffer raised. 12 million a year. Uh, over every year of a year, but yeah. this year will burn under 10 million bucks as they look to scale in the enterprise CPG space, right? So they're helping CPG brands do things like get user feedback directly, uh, uh, you know, build their new package designs, understand heat maps on store floors, right? And things like that. Uh, they've got over 400 or caught around 400 customers hoping to break 82 million bucks of revenue this year. So they can break 100 million next year. We'll see what happens next. Matt, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks as always.